Back to Business is a podcast for livestock producers who are getting back to business after bushfire, flood and drought. From pastures and nutrition to the purchase of livestock, tune in each week for expert information to help rebuild resilient livestock businesses. In our first episode, which is facilitated by Sheep Connect New South Wales' manager, Megan Rogers, Alistair Rayner of ag consulting company Rayner Ag informs us on things to consider when it comes to cash flow and what options are available for producers now. So Alistair, thanks for being our, our presenter at our first Back to Business webinars and indeed the Back to Business podcast series. We're so pleased that you're able to join us. And the first first one that we're, first topic that we're kicking off with is about what have we got to focus on now uh, to get our cash flow back up and going and maintaining our business. So Alistair, what are your key recommendations for people to do after a disaster's um, impacted on their business as it has in so many areas? Thanks, Megan. I think the most important thing is to actually take a moment to stop and consider exactly where you are in the process of your business operation. One of the challenges that that we're always faced with is that when a, a disaster of the scale of the recent bushfires or the ongoing impact of the drought just means that people are constantly in response mode and they're constantly thinking about responding to what they need to do to get through that event. And then when that ends, whether the fire goes out um, or the drought starts to break, people immediately launch back into a process of trying to get going again to generate cash. And it almost becomes um, a series of panicked decisions that are not clearly thought through. And sometimes those investments, rather than generating better cash for people, um, expose them to greater risks down the track. And so my analogy that I've been looking at um, a lot in the last little while as the rain came, the panic buying that we see by people restocking cattle and sheep uh, in sale yards across Eastern Australia has been probably matched in intensity by people buying toilet paper as a result of the COVID experience. Both of those um, are very similar in that we need both of those inputs in our lives, but do we need them right at that point in time? Do we need them in the quantities that people are purchasing them? And have we really considered, do, the, do those investments have to be made right now? And my, my first point for every person I speak to is to, to take a moment to stop and consider what it is that we've come through, because I, I sense in everybody that I speak to um, across my client base, which is a pretty extensive one in, in Eastern Australia, a huge level of, of personal uh, fatigue, both mentally and physically, because people have been just on the go for so long. And fatigue for me is a concern because it means that people are, uh, because they're exhausted, we know that, that some of the results of fatigue um, tend to be poor decisions. So we get things like lapses in attention, we get reduced reaction times, we get poor judgment and decision making, um, we get less effective communication, and we start to then really also have impaired ability to, to assess where we're actually at. It's a bit like <laughs> a, 
like an, a hangover from from having adrenaline in your system for a long time, isn't it? It's you know like all of a sudden the adrenaline leaves you and then you just you know you're really really tired and and busted. Like you but know. it's exhausted. That's right. And so we know you know at, at a day to day level, just physical fatigue of not sleeping, having people who sleep badly. Um, if you're awake for something like 17 hours, your ability to function is about um, on par with um, a blood alcohol content of, I think, about, you know, almost 0.5. So you're almost, um, if, if it was a blood alcohol limit, you would be over the limit to drive, but we can still, you know, we're still out there doing things, but we know that you make bad decisions. You don't think things through. You don't talk um, about uh, situations rationally. And so if we have this chronic level of fatigue, that's, that's when people go out and make these hasty decisions to repurchase or to recontinue in their programs, um, probably without giving it the fair degree of thought that, that we should have done. So, so I think that, that my number one tip for a lot of people is take, take a bit of time to regenerate yourself. Um, you don't have to rush to spend money and invest um to get going straight away because if everyone else is doing that then prices will be artificially high and the investments that you're making might not just be ill-conceived but also you cannot really afford them um, as well as you should do so that's probably my number one tip my second tip for for most people is to actually sit down and, and start to be a bit more informed about the world that we're operating within um, and have a look at what the markets are truly telling you and the market information that's coming through from organisations like MLA and AWI. Um, and have a bit of a look at, at the trend for market prices, not just in relation to the fact that they're going up because of demand, but where are the, the traditional peaks and troughs? How do, how do they align with um, your season and your environment and your feed base? Because if people are rushing to make decisions now, can you hang on for another few weeks to make your purchasing decisions to be more in line with your seasonal requirements and your feed base? And that might also coincide more effectively with times that are going to be uh, financially more affordable for you. But you can only make those decisions if you're informed and, and to use accurate information and not hearsay. What I would probably then say after you do that is to, to then take um, the time to sit down and set some goals for yourself and for your business. This is, again, um, an area that I don't know that we do collectively in agriculture as well as we should do. Most people don't have goals that they can clearly articulate um, or explain to other people. And when we talk to farmers um, to, to help them with, with circumstances around their business, what I often find coming out is that there's a, an incredible degree of focus on the process of being a farmer. We're very caught up in, in the day-to-day -day activities, but where those activities actually contribute to the long-term goal of the business is often harder to see. And because it's harder to see, it's harder to judge the value of whether that time or that resource input or those financial inputs are being effectively rewarded. So. If you can go the other way and actually set a series of goals and work towards them, you can be much more efficient and effective in your overall process of, of running an agricultural business. So what I, I say about goals is, is a couple of things. First of all, 
you really need to sit down and think about what you're good at. And this is a bit of an honesty call and a tough call. Not all of us can be good at, at, at everything in agriculture. Some people are naturally more attuned to trading cattle than they are to breeding cattle. Some people are much more enjoy spending time working with sheep and growing fleece much more than they ever do working with cattle. So what are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? And then think a little bit about what makes you different so that you can start to find those things that you're passionate about and really want to be involved in because that will make the big difference as to how efficient and effective and passionate you are about your business and therefore that will then help your business grow and be, be you know, longer term a much more sustainable entity. Um, part of that, Megan, as you know, and, and we talk a lot about is to get people to be honest, not just about their own cells, but about their, the resource base that they've got left after the drought or after the fires. What is a feed base uh, going to look like over the next six to eight months? So for me, coming from Northern Tablelands, where we know from Anzac Day onwards, where we start to get our frosts, we won't get a lot of growth um, from April, May, June, July, August, and possibly we'll start to see some growth in September. So we've got a fairly long period of time ahead of us where there's not much pasture to play with. So what does that mean in terms of investments that, you know, any animals that we get now where we're trying to put weight on, how long before that's being realised? What criti critical infrastructure do we have to actually do the jobs we want to do? It's fine and well to say we're going to go back into sheep or we're going to go into cattle, but if you don't have the resource in terms of the infrastructure to do that efficiently, then it's not going to work as well. And also, I guess the third one is, does your environment allow you to keep doing this? So we know that, that the environments are generally becoming hotter and drier. We know that, um, that that there is those, those long-term changes we're starting to see happen. So does that mean that we need to start changing away from our traditional turn-off times to a heavier animal that needs to be a larger maturity or, or something along those lines? You need to be, I guess, cognizant of those resource changes that are happening there. Ultimately, then the final thing that I want people to do when they, when they start thinking about a rebuild is to actually understand the, the profit driver for their business. And profit is really driven by, I guess, um, a fairly simple equation, which is um, profit is the difference between the average price you receive, um, and in red meat we talk about that in, in dollars per kilo red meat, less the cost of production for a kilo of red meat. And whatever the difference is between those two things is your profit. And and that 80% of the variation in that figure we know is due to the cost of production. And when we dive down... That's really important in... Sorry, Alistair. That's really important coming out of a drought, um, you know, obviously with buy-in prices, but also, you know, with the cost of your feed base as well. And, and I mean, it'd be no secret for a lot of people that were drought affected prior to the fires, of you know, just how much feed was being... Um, required to maintain those livestock and similarly during that period while we're waiting for pasture to, to regenerate, cost of production is going to be much higher then as well. Absolutely Megan and so um, the cost component of any business, you know, the, the, the probably the biggest variable is always going to be something like feed cost. Um, there's a lot of fixed costs that we don't have an awful lot to, to move with. 
Mm. And in seasonal uncertainty, obviously the big costs are going to be things like feed and transport and so on. But generally, where the biggest level of variation, and, and it seems to settle out over a 10 year period about 75%, maybe a bit different because of the drought of the last couple of years. But again, what we know is, is, is three quarters of the variation in cost of production is due to production per hectare. And so my challenge to people is to get uh, serious about knowing what they're producing per hectare, knowing what their costs are to produce it, and then looking at what's realistic and achievable within that. So if you know those things, then you start to get, I guess, the capacity to ask better questions and make better decisions around how you will run a business. So when we start to think about that, what I, I suggest to a lot of people is to really think about um, as a business, and any business has to do this, regardless of, of where um, you might be, whether it's a sheep, cattle, goats or so on, is to think about not just where you want to be in the landscape that you're operating in, but the vulnerabilities that you have in terms of um, what your markets may or may not do, but also the vulnerabilities that might be associated with, risk, with risks that you may choose to accept like bringing stock in and purchasing to rebuild up versus the risk of retaining animals and breeding up from your own animals, um, which, which reduces your ability to have greater selection pressure and will slow down your rate of genetic gain. What do you think is your greatest vulnerability and how will you manage that? Have you effectively done a financial budget? And most people, when I say that to them, look at me with, I guess, a sheepish grin it is not hard to do some gross margins, to do some comparisons about your better options. And then also, I guess, in the long term, what are the issues that, that are emerging that might have to be considered? So are we moving into areas that are prone to, to increased levels of predation from wild dogs because of, I guess, you know, less effective stock control in some areas? Are we moving into areas where greater parasitic burdens are starting to happen because of temp climatic change? What are those issues that you may need to consider so that you mightn't be able to continue running a particular breed of animals, but go a different way. Um, in, the short, in the short term, would we start thinking, you know, about this trading ourselves back into the black, so to speak? Would we really need to sort of think about some short and medium and, and longer term goals about what it is that we need to be doing as well? I, look, that's right. But I mean, trading doesn't always become the answer, Megan, because remember I said um, just earlier, not all of us are going to have the skills or the capacity to do that. So it's, oh yes, it's sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean trading as in trading livestock. I meant just our business trading back into the black. Oh, sorry. okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Look, I think that that short term we really need to sit down and and I think and and go. What are the immediate priorities and the easiest way to generate some cash? Now, and that might and they'll be really individual to different opportunities. But it doesn't mean that we all have to go out and purchase cattle to trade or sheep to trade. It could mean the opportunity to take on adjustment. I'd certainly be encouraging people who've got the, the capacity to think about um, using uh, some of this regrowth to put into forage conservation and, and using that to offset either by selling some fodder on or putting it away so you don't spend it further down the track. But mm -hmm. what are the ways that work best in your environment to actually do that? For some people, it might be they're going to continue with a bit of a drought program, which was continue working on their off farm 
income and just letting, um, I guess, the dust settle a little bit and think about where they want to be. So you have to set your own specific goals um, and they've got to be clear. There's no point having goals if they're, if they're not clear. And this is where I talk about having these things called SMART goals. And SMART to me means um, the following things. First one is specific. So if, if, if your specific need is cash flow in the short term, what are the best ways to generate that? And be honest again about it. Do they, does it have to come out of farm activity? Can it be off-farm activity? Can it be a combination of strategies that we used effectively in the drought? And can that continue a little bit longer in the shorter term? Uh, medium term, it might be that you would like to try and change your program from being a breeding operation to a mixed grazing enterprise with some, some sheep and some cattle that are traded um, with a three-month turnover. Two things that you'll note there was that that was a specific goal, a time frame and a class of stock. So the specific goals have to be focused on what will bring you cash flow for your environment. Any goal that you set must be measurable. And I had a conversation today with someone who said that there's really um, a, a, the greatest weakness of many producers is that we don't use the data we record effectively. We don't measure what we're doing. And because we're not measuring things, or if we are, we're not using it to make better decisions. When we collect data on our farm, it should be for the purposes of understanding what's going on in order to manipulate that uh, program to get to our specific goal. So if the goal was immediate cash flow by generating and turning over cattle every three months by putting 100 kilos onto them, then you should be measuring them and assessing them to make those decisions so that your day-to-day -day activities are about how to get that extra weight gain to hit your turnaround target. If you're not measuring, you're not able to make those, those innovative decisions. Um, so our, our decision process has to be underpinned and our goals have to be measurable. Otherwise, they're, they're just dreams. I also think that when you talk about doing measurement, there's what's, you know, we really need to be efficient and what's necessary. Necessary things are the things that will allow you to better understand how your animals are performing in relationship to your goals. So you don't have to record everything. You don't need to have pedigrees. You don't need to have um, every single piece of data that an animal has if what your goal is is weight gain in a three-month period. Longer term, when you're looking to breed maybe more efficient animals that use less feed, um, going to calf earlier and so on, that data then has to be collected and you make those decisions. But we spend a lot of time faffing around over the stuff that's nice to know, not necessarily need to know. My third point in my goals need to be achievable. And again, Megan, when we talk about achievable goals, lots of people I think have got aspirations to be uh, capable of doing things that really they're not able to manage to do. And that's because their resource base doesn't support it. They can't do it without a large investment to get going, or they may, may not possess the skills or the knowledge to actually do that. So a lot of people I think have, have gone out and purchased particularly restocker animals in the last couple of weeks and, 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 and so on since the drought broke. 
with the intention of trying to put weight onto those animals and sell them for a profit and get some cash flow going. But if they don't have the capacity to be able to estimate growth rates, to weigh, to estimate pasture, to understand their feed budget, if those animals go to an environment where they don't grow for, for two months while they acclimatise and then have poor quality, poor available pastures, then that becomes an investment that actually costs money rather than generates a cash flow. And that's largely a result of someone not having skills and knowledge about their pasture base or their ability to grow and, and manage cattle. So one of the, I guess, the, the point that I'd, I'd really want to drive home about that is, is your goals have to be achievable within your skill set. And, and what we do know is that technology on its own doesn't make a program better. If you don't have a basic skill set to understand pastures or animal growth or how fleece grows or all those things that generate your profit, purchasing or you know, applying technology to that situation doesn't make it better. It won't take the, the fundamental cause of the problem away. So you need to be really honest in terms of are your goals achievable? Do you have the skills to do that? And if you don't, just, sorry, yep. Sorry. Sorry, Alistair, I, I guess that's about actually, you know, when you're setting those goals is having your, your end point or your end game on the prize kind of thing, you know, it's being quite specific about what it is that you, you're aiming to do as you try and, you know, build your business back up out of, you know, a disaster, no matter what the, the disaster is. Absolutely. If you've got that specific goal clearly identified, shared with your team, with some measurement points along the way so that you can keep yourself on track, then you go, well, is it achievable? At least you can say to yourself, well, I don't think I really know how to do pasture assessment well enough. Now, that's not to say that that goal is now ruled out of the, the picture. What it says is that you need to go and speak to someone, undertake some training, go and do a progress course, go and talk to, to someone who can help you develop the skills to assess pastures and manage your feed base. Once you've got that skill under your belt and you keep developing it, then you then you can then start to go back and refocus on that goal. So there's that's I guess you know that's the importance of having specific and measurable and then achievable goals. The next one that I, I think the the next part of this process is having realistic goals. Realistic goals are, are those ones that um, people often often fall down on because they want to do things and they have a goal to create some type of a business uh, program that is unrealistic. It's unrealistic either for their lack of ability in, in certain areas, their environmental unsuitability, their geographic location. Um, some of the things that people would like to do are just genuinely not possible to do for where they live. And so if your goals are not realistic in those things, then you shouldn't um, undertake them. And this is that, you know, it's almost like a bit of a, a check to make sure you don't go into the panic buying of cattle or, or anything like that. You know, do you really need, you know, how realistic is it to buy wieners to take from southern New South Wales or Victoria into northern tablelands to grow out over winter to hit a feedlot weight? And if you understand your pasture base and you understand your environment, you'd say it's unrealistic, it's never going to happen. So if it's never going to happen, then don't make that investment. Look around for other opportunities that will be realistic for your environment to generate that cash flow. Um, so be realistic. 
the last, I guess, one about that is also um, to be focused on what the endpoint is. Again, your markets. Um, and a good example is people who come and say to me that that they want to be breeding cattle to go into the the B3 long fed market, and that is a very small proportion of of cattle that we would feed. So not everyone can do it. It's a highly specialised market using very you know tailored genetics around marbling, very suited for a specific purpose. So not everyone needs to be into it. So again, you'd ask yourself if if that's not going to be realistic for you, then don't go down that that path. Be realistic and be relevant. Find the easiest way to generate kilograms of production per hectare for your environment because that will make you more profit. And lastly, timeliness in terms of your decisions. Think about um, not having to rush out there. You don't have to make a decision that's going to to cost you a lot of money just because everyone else is doing the same thing. Your timely decision should be based on the consideration of, of those other factors around your goals and using the data that you have to make that decision and say this is when the best time is to do this. Um, and don't be afraid to keep making those decisions around a, a set timeline. That was one of the good things that the drought taught people was that a timeline was essential and it gave you something to work towards and constraints to operate within. Look, the last couple of things I think that, that are really important because setting goals and, and working out where to go is, a, uh, I guess, a, an overwhelming thing for a lot of people who are, as we said earlier, tired and fatigued. MLA has got a terrific new program, the Back to Business program, which this webinar and podcast series are a part of. One of the, the other great things they're doing is the one-to-one -one farm support program, which is happening basically across the country. Um, where people can go through the MLA website through their bushfire recovery link um, to, to register uh, with the state coordinators to request a three-day um, free consultancy with registered um, and recognised consultants to help them work through a plan to get themselves back into business. So to go through setting these goals setting up a, a bit of a framework that's going to give them those opportunities to look forward um, to, to move into the future. I'm actually one of the New South Wales consultants on the program and, and it's been something I've been really enjoying working with some of those producers who've come to, to the program looking for that extra input and a chance to have that objective fresh start. So I'd encourage everybody listening in to go to the MLA website, mla.com.au. Uh, forward slash bushfire recovery and register and uh, and seek that support because that's going to be a, a crucial part of helping you have um, what we call really smart goals. So I think that Alistair, that's probably the key things, Megan. Yeah, look, Alistair, that that last point that you made about the consultancy, I, I think you know such an important part of of driving people's businesses in the right direction, following on from disaster, whether it be fire. Um, you know, storm, flood or drought indeed. And, you know, seeking advice and having a second, a fresh set of eyes, have a look over your business. And I think, you know, as much as anything, looking for where there might be some, you know, weak spots, but looking for where there's some really good opportunities. And I, and I think that that consultancy opportunities are a great, great offering from MLA there to help people get their businesses back on track and help keep getting people back to business. So Alistair, is there anything else that you wanted to, to add to the 
um, to what we've just spoken about? No, I don't think so, Megan. I think that it is important, um, as you said, to seek advice and seek assistance. It can be very overwhelming, but um, with some, some objective thinking through, you can set some goals that allow you to have a business that you, that you like to be in and that you love to do, and can it be financially and personally very rewarding. Excellent. Alastair, thanks again for your wisdom and, and some of those pearls of wisdom that you've shared with us today. Um, I've really enjoyed catching up with you again and um, yeah, encourage um, those who are tuning in to log into our future webinars, uh, which are the Back to Business webinar series. And um, you can access those uh, via www.sheepconnectnsw.com.au forward slash events. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Thanks, Alistair. And bye for now. Thank you, Megan. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Back to Business podcast. You can register for upcoming webinars at sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com forward slash events or just subscribe to this podcast, which will be updated weekly. If you would like to take the time to rate and review this podcast in iTunes, it'll help more producers like yourself discover this information. Back to Business is a partnership of Meat and Livestock Australia, Sheep Connect New South Wales, Australian Wool Innovation and Integrity Systems Company. The program is supported by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries, New South Wales Local Land Services and New South Wales Farmers.